Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, this is the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast, it is a podcast about Scottish football but because there's no football on at the moment we're going to talk about things that we like, things that have uh, bewitched Anne and Richard over the lockdown, although since lockdown seems to be easing there's no need for us to be stuck inside. Anyway, uh, that's a terrible introduction but nevertheless we press on, my name is Craig Telfer and I am joined by three men who, I've, I looked at my notes, I've not done podcasts with either of them in the, the past few months. Uh, we'll start with the one with the worst haircut, is Duncan Mackay. Yeah, that really is a great gag for an audio product. We'll start with the man with the second worst haircut, it's Gary Cocker. I knew that was coming. And we'll start with the man with no haircut at all, it's Andy Harrow. <laughs> I definitely knew that was coming. <laughs> uh, it's okay, listen, uh, when it comes to like uh, that, like the social hierarchy, bald men are uh, are, are quite down, down the list. But listen, baldness is considered uh, to be virile, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm the only one that's actually got a kid, so yeah. I suppose you could say that's yeah. had some impact on that, yeah. Yeah, whereas I've got the I've got all the hair in the head in the world, and the doctors say it's uh, probably a, a one in ten chance I'll ever have kids. But that's, uh, that's <laughs> for, for another time. The expression, what God giveth with one hand, he taketh with the other. But anyway, we're going to talk about things that we've enjoyed during the lockdown. This is the Pop Culture Podcast. If you join us for the first time, we talk about some things that we've generally experienced over the past few weeks. Uh, something we're a wee bit ambivalent about, 
we will review a movie, God Help Us All, and then we will talk about an album, something that we are a podcast or something to, to listen to over the next few weeks. But we will start by talking about something we have experienced, something we have liked or disliked. And we will start with the wild man of Dunbar himself, Duncan Mackay. What have you uh, been experiencing over the past few weeks? So the thing that I've been really enjoying over the last few weeks uh, and is on Amazon Prime all five seasons to, to stream is Broad City. Um, it's a vague, it's not even a sketch show, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, comedy show uh, set in New York about two uh, girls in their 20s uh, and it is exactly the sort of thing that uh, I need at the moment which is it's puerile, it's mindless, it's a bit stupid but it's actually very funny. Who's in it? Uh, it is two leads, and I should have uh, googled their names before starting. Um, but you, you'll be—you'll have seen them uh, on various things. I'm pretty sure. I know that Amy Poehler is a, a executive on it as well, I believe. Uh, so there's lots that, that's uh, Alana Glazer and uh, Abby Jacobson, um, and they are—they uh, started it as a web series. Um, and then there's uh, so there's ten episodes in each uh, season, and it's just it's really twenty minute episodes, really mindless but really f- uh, funny at points, uh, really surreal at other points as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just I, I, it's just something I've, I've really enjoyed um, that is just really funny. It's sort of like basically the equivalent of two broke girls in, but a bit more highbrow. Uh, I've never watched uh, Two Broke Girls, so I can't speak to that. But I'll say yes. Okay, highly. It, it is quite. I, I, I've seen. I've seen wee bits of it. It is quite kind of anarchic. The, the episodes I've seen, where they kind of. I think one of them they try and have their office in the street. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, it just seems to be mindless or kind of slightly anarchic. It's kind of the, the the thing I've seen from it. But yeah, it's quite good. They're they're quite um, charismatic. They've they've got a good um, kind of natural chemistry. I don't know if they, were they friends or something before Duncan. I, from what I read, yeah, they they'd, uh, they met in New York, I think. So it's just about their, yeah, they started as a web series, um, kind of about trying to make it. And the the idea is that uh, Abby is trying to make it as an artist, but say, but uh, obviously that's quite difficult. And so she's uh, also a cleaner at a gym, uh, and is basically disrespected the whole time. Um, and then she also has this uh, flatmate. Uh, who you never see, but her boyfriend is uh, shares the apartment and is a pretty disgusted. Like she's an absolute stunner. She's a ten out of ten. Who you never see, and then she's got this like absolute uh, mess slob of a <laughs> of a boyfriend who you know is always in the lounge playing video games and just a bit obnoxious and stuff like that. So that there's uh, some there's some funny uh, tropes throughout the whole thing, and it's basically yeah, it's it's kind of that idea of how do you make it in the city, but that it being New York sort of anything can happen um, sort of element and, and just basically them being bad at life. That sounds good. That sounds like a probably not the most demanding of, of watch Duncan then. Something you can pretty much just sit down on the couch, watch it and maybe have it on in the background. Yeah, absolutely. It's been exactly what I've kind of like, there's, there's some days where you're like, oh yeah, I really want to get into something quite meaty and stuff like that. And then the last few weeks I've been like, actually, I just want something that uh, takes my mind off things, amuses me and stuff. The, the, the way it makes me feel is a bit like, I'm not sure if anyone else has seen it, The um, it's on Netflix called The League, which is about uh, fantasy yeah. uh, fantasy football in America. Like in terms of like, there's a premise, but actually it, it, you just more like the characters and, and the realism 
you know, goes out the window, but you don't really mind because it amuses you. Okay, that sounds interesting. Now, Andy Harrow, if you could take yourself off mute and tell us one of the things that uh, you've been doing. <laughs> I'm so conscious of, the, there's so much noise in my uh, headphones, I'm, I'm conscious of making too much noise, so that's why, I, I, that's why I'm on mute. Um, yeah, the, uh, uh, the thing I am, uh, I've enjoyed the last few while is the Rabbit Hole podcast. Um, so it is a podcast from the New York Times. Yeah, basically it kind of talks about the internet and how things like YouTube uh, and Facebook to a degree and, and all the kind of these websites that, that we use regularly, how that can kind of lead to radicalising kind of individuals and wow. um, and kind of the, the people that are involved in it. So so for instance, the, the, um, the first couple of episodes kind of focus on a guy who was pretty um, didn't really have any particularly strong views right or left um, but kind of started going on YouTube watching um, self-help videos ended up at this guy called Stefan Molyneux who I'd, um, I'd never heard of before but he's a, apparently a, a Canadian libertarian um, and he started um, th- there was kind of Gamergate which I was only kind of dimly aware of before um, just about this kind of Oh yeah, basically a lot of g- grief that was given to female kind of game developers and game players and everything. Uh, not quite sure what the, the, the there was, was some was complicated game, background. Game, yeah, a software developer had come out and said that like he was he wrote basically this sort of like ranty blog about his ex girlfriend. I think her name was Zoe mm-hmm. Quinn, and who who was a video games journalist. And pretty much he he said that certain video games got high scores because she was sleeping with um like the. Uh, other games developers, I think that might be it, and right, that yeah. Term, yeah, that sounds about right. On. And I'm sure it was uh, March. Uh, sorry, Milo Yiannopoulos was someone who helped force that into the into the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. So he he does get a he does get a few uh, mentions Milo during the during the course of it. But basically, that the Stefan Molyneux guy he started talking about it and kind of becoming quite anti uh, women to degree and it was about the, the, the first couple of episodes about that algorithm in YouTube um, they talked to a, a French developer on YouTube who kind of identified what was happening but wasn't really listened to is that the, the way YouTube was obviously doing it it was looking for for things similar to to what you're already watching so I ended up he went from kind of Stefan Molyneux to um, other kind of libertarian figures he, he then was listening to uh, that's definitely he was on Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan would have some other mad right wingers on and he got to a point where this guy was kind of at the, the deep deep ends of it he was kind of listening to um, the uh, who's the is it Richard um, Spencer the the real yeah. Nazi guy yeah yeah, and he, he actually he got, got his punched. was it Donald Trump yeah. they did right. he got punched in the jaw that's right uh, and that's something we can all um, you know Get I appreciate, it. but yes, get behind here. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, so so he got so far over from this kind of listen, watching self help videos and really having no political affiliations at all. I ended up basically, you know, not far um, off the Nazis, and then, but weirdly through YouTube, ended up coming the other way as well. So um, various things happened, but effectively, YouTube almost de-radicalised him at the same time because they then started showing him other videos where right wingers who he believed all the stuff they're saying were getting hammered by these other left wing gamers who 
kind of blew up their arguments in it. So, so there's an element around that. Then there's stuff about, um, as I say, Joe Rogan. Um, there's um, a PewDiePie that talks about how he became kind of the biggest um, YouTube YouTuber ever, and then also he got linked to the the shooting and what's that? So I see PewDiePie. He's been involved yeah. before for sort of like like yes. anti-Semitic stuff. I'm sure. Yes. Sort of like yeah. like pro-Nazi jokes. That That's right. Yeah. So, so yeah, it goes into all that stuff about how I just that came about, and he was he was linked to that shooting in New Zealand because um, because it was and I, I knew that story at the time that he'd been linked to, but I didn't understand it was all about the subscribe to PewDiePie thing, which was apparently a um, came off the back of PewDiePie's kind of number one status on YouTube being challenged by some Indian channel. Anyway, so it, it then has an interview with PewDiePie and then it talks at the end about QAnon, who I used to think was QAnon because I didn't understand that it. it was some guy called Q who was anonymous. So, uh, it's, but it's really it's really interesting. It's, it's only 25 minute episodes, so so I kind of rattled through it. Um, you can, it's, it's easy just to go on and it kind of it's, does that smart thing of the, the end of the podcast you're listening to, it slightly trails what it's going to talk about next time round. So it's only maybe, I think, about eight but it's, it's really excellent. It's some of the stuff you kind of know, but it, um, but even then, it kind of gives a bit more detail around it, and it's it's kind of fascinating and also terrifying about how easily you can kind of get radicalised by um, online no, platforms. No, it's, it's none, none to worry about. My granddad, uh, God love him, who, who uh, he's been radicalised uh, by YouTube. <laughs> No, I'm not joking. He thinks 9/11 was a conspiracy, and he thinks right. landings were fake. Is that, is that via YouTube, pretty much? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. He's uh, he's been ill for a wee while now, so he's he's um, he he can't uh, can't get out of his bed, uh, and he's pretty much that's what what you do. You spend all your time just mm. watching shit on the uh, on the internet. We've all done it when we've been ill, mm. um, but he's uh, I doesn't think the moon landings uh, happened. Um, anyway, yeah, that- uh, I was going to say, luckily, the only thing that I'm currently watching are just people playing scary computer games. That's that's as yeah. far as I've gone for conspiracy theories. So I've got some conspiracy theories about whether the new Resident Evil Three is good or not, but otherwise, I've, I've not got too <laughs> radicalised. Uh, that, nothing to help Donald Trump get into power then, like with a bunch of not yet, not yet. Good. Although I've got uh, just The Last of Us Two came. I've not had the chance to actually play it yet, but that's maybe something I can talk about next time. Anyway, that, that, that's really good, Andy. That's uh, probably one of the, the few things that someone's actually talked about the podcast that I'm actually interested in listening to. So, uh, well done. That is, I've just subscribed to it there, and I will look forward to that. But well, the thing I've been enjoying uh, recently is The Wire. Uh, in the past uh, seven days, I have watched uh, the entire the, the entire series from right from the start right to the very end. Um, I'm sure we've all seen it. Yep. So I don't really think there's much to say about it that, that hasn't been said before, other than it is just a, a staggeringly good, absolutely staggeringly good piece of television. It's, it's such a wanky thing to say, but it really does feel like a novel, the way it sort of weaves in and out of these various characters' lives. Like, for instance, like Jimmy McNulty, who you'd probably say for better for us is the main character in it. By the time you get on to season four, he is peripheral. He does. He 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 rarely features in the the way that the focus shifts onto other parts of Baltimore and and the the system and and helping explain where why everything the way it is and why it would take something radical to change to move these people out of po- move these these people out of poverty and and, and uh, destabilize the drug trade. It's just 
just incredible. But the, the kind of one thing, well, we all kind of agree that the first four series are quite good. It was series five. I watched that and was sort of thinking, hey, I remember historically being told that that's probably the weakest out of a lot of them. But watching it back there, I can definitely see that being the case. For instance, just the way it's written, it's it's very on the nose in parts, like being in the, the newsroom, like when the journalists are talking to each it's other. It's very ham-fisted, isn't it? And it starts to think, it's like ham-fisted is, is not what The Wire should be about. It's all very subtle. Like, everything about it is very subtle. But this is just the way... Maybe it's because I think you spend that much time on Twitter, and a lot of the time the most prominent figures on Twitter are journalists, and there's nothing uh, more dispiriting than hearing journalists talk about what it's like to be journalists like nobody nobody gives a fuck you know no, nobody cares but but that so so that that whole stuff that there wasn't wasn't that great and the probably the, the for a show that prided itself on being so realistic like i mean it takes them for instance like my, my mate had, had watched the wire then got alone of the shield and this is the time when the shield was supposed to be like one of the best tv shows of all time <laughs> It was, it was getting that sort of rap, obviously, The Shield, nobody really talks about it anymore, but he watched The Wire, went and watched The Shield, and he was like, this is so, like, The Shield's just so bombastic and so unrealistic. I think in The Wire, in the first series, it takes about seven episodes to actually get the wiretap into place. It's not, because it's the sort of, not the sort of thing, if you want to bug someone's phone, you've got to get probable cause, you've got to go through a judge to get it all set up, etc. So then you've got to... On, on like, another TV show, it's like, did it done. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Whereas this this isn't isn't like that at all. Um, but then, so, so when, you, when you think about Jimmy McNulty faking serial killers, like trying to create a serial killer, you understand the motives for it. It's just kind of like, ah, this is like Dexter. This is like sort of like something you'd see at the tail end of Dexter, where it's man itself. See, actually, that thing about a policeman faking a serial killer, that in itself is an interesting premise. Not in The Wire, though. That yeah, it doesn't, of, exi- it doesn't exist in that world. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That sort of stuff do- doesn't exist in the world. However, in Series 5, it's got two of my favourite my favorite bits in it, where uh, Bubbles' redemption is incredible. Who Bubbles is one of the best characters in it. Just someone who, horrendous in season four, where he's getting bullied, and so he takes these, puts cyanide in these heroin capsules intended for, for his bully, but his young prodigy, Sherrod, takes it instead, and, and he's really, I mean, the guys had, had terrible bad luck, uh, but it's his redemption, like he's a year clean, and had just his sister inviting him in with her family, just beautiful television, and then uh, it comes back to Officer, Pre- sorry, Robert Presbolewski doesn't feature at all, in series five, but it comes back to him in the final episode where Dookie returns to the school to get money from him, and it's just that's just a really uh, I thought it was a really sad scene uh, where, where Prez is like, if, if you can, I'll go and see you in a couple of weeks, but if you don't, we can't be friends anymore. I just thought that was that was really nice, it was really powerful. So, yeah, absolutely world class uh, television, just slightly let down by that final season. The, the, that's the, that's the, the strange thing about it because the attention to detail in The Wire was so good. Like, you know, and I heard about, um, I think David Simon talking about one point where, like, when they first, even before they got launched, they were, you know, and that they had mapped out a huge board of all where the characters would be in each episode and stuff. So there's so much subtlety. Like, I think there's. Uh, I mean, there's no spoilers because it's been out for for uh, so many years now. But that there's that scene in the gay bar where suddenly it the, it, pan, where mm-hmm. it pans round and it, it rolls is sitting there, 
and suddenly you yeah. understand like there's no mm -hmm. comment made there's no like well this is a big revelation it's just he mm -hmm. happens to be there in the scene the camera just and suddenly him. yeah everything about Rawls makes a lot mm -hmm. more sense you understand him just a little bit more but there was no Greek drama yeah. around it. And it, does, it, doesn't come it doesn't come back to it at any point either, I don't no, think. Does it? No, they don't, they don't, no. Which I kind of thought, oh, at some point it's going to be. But no, and you're right, and it's so much smarter just doing it doing it that way as well. And it's so, that's what, that's what I love about it. And I can understand why people don't get Like, it was, and David Simon said this from the start, they had no intention of compromising. They, mm -hmm. they, they got the right platform with HBO. And, you know, it does. It does take you uh, the first three episodes or whatever for your ear to tune to the dialogue. It's totally worth it for that to happen. Like, if you, the, I don't think there's, the, if you'd compromise and had the language being toned down or whatever, or the di you know, the uh, gangster dialect um, kind of anglified to, to, to for softer middle America ears, it just wouldn't have worked. Like, the realism exists because of that. And there's no goodies, you know, something there's, there's, I, I always thought that. That watching it, like for the first time I watched it, like Cedric Daniels, he was my favourite character in it, Daniels, because he was he was probably the straightest guy in it. But in the second episode, there's Prez, Herc, and Carver go to a tower block at like two in the morning, and Prez pistol whips a boy and basically breaks his, blinds him, blind, blinds the boy in one eye. But Daniels covers up for it. You know, like like Daniel Daniel says to him, "No, what happened, officer, was that that he, he he left you with." He basically talks him through what to say. Like you were left mm. with no alternative, and you're you're sort of like, geez, oh man. The only time I'm sure the police uh, actually uh, sort of like like don't look after themselves is a bit where there's an officer. I can't remember his name. He looks like Kurgan from the WWF from like the from like the late nineties. Big guy, hair shaved in at the sides, goatee beard. You'd know him if you saw him. He there's a guy tooting a horn, and he gets worked up and tries to drag him out of his car. And Carver says, "Like I'm going to have to write you up for it." That seems. I thought that was the only time that the police were, um, like, like held to account. Held to which account. It were, oh, amazingly has parallels to 2020. Hundred percent, hundred percent. When you see that, that now you can under just the uh, mentality, yeah, the brutality, that mentality, um, like the idea, like subtle policing, like Herc. Doesn't want it. Doesn't want to be a sort of police. Just wants to go and crack some skulls. But that gets nowhere. It's all about patience, and it's all about into the detail. And you're right about the characters being so well rendered. It's just, it's just extraordinary, man. Did you guys have a favourite series? I think four for me was my favourite, just because it brought that it brought in the the schooling stuff, and that. That was heartbreaking. Like yeah. it was, it was just the final the, episode the, for that series was was amazing. Yeah. Well, like, where's Wallace? Uh, no, yeah, no, um, no, not Wallace. Uh, what, what did you say to him? He screams in the at Carver. Um, oh yeah. What, 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 what about me? It's just what yeah. you, uh, that's 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 horrible. Yeah. Like that, that. That's the thing. Like it was it 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 was entertaining as a series, but also like made you just uh, <laughs> thoroughly depressed as well. Like because yeah. you were just like what what. What can you do when this is the the life chances of these kids? Like this is what they're up against every single day. Like it's like there's no uh, there's no wonder why they end why things happen the way they do. Yeah, it's like, it all, like you can see how how uh, dropping out and dealing and stuff is a logical step for these kids. Yeah, that's why they've been the happy endings. I'm trying to think. Like Naimond got adopted by Bunny Colvin and yeah. sort of like became. 
was doing at the end that was showing him debate. And even that, like, Namon's not a particularly likable character at the start and stuff like that. So, like, there's that element of, like, you like one of the other kids probably, should, like, in a uh, nice world, would have been one of the kids to be adopted. Like, yeah. you know, but, it was, uh, you know, it's Namon too, was a bit obnoxious. But you, but, and But you understand Namon, though, because of, like, like how he's brought up, like, who is, who is mother, who is mother, his mother's horrible, his dad his yeah. dad's like one of the, the the hardest folk in the whole show and like his mother wants him like the bit where he's trying to he's trying to sling yay to use the use the term and, and he's just no got it in him he doesn't have the heart to do it so uh, that's sort of like playing up it and showing up as his way of trying to compensate for the fact that he's not a hard man and he can't be a hard man um, however like he's getting adopted by the Colvins that is a that's like a happy ending same with Bubbles Bubbles finally gets a happy ending no one else uh, no one else really does Daniels maybe Daniel Daniels becomes a lawyer, gets with uh, the lovely Rhonda Perlman. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we could be talking about the wire all day, but we can't. So I want to hear what what uh, what uh, the, the what Gary Cocker, uh, Craig White, and relegated Dundee United at Dens Park. Gary, but what have you been up to lately? That's not relevant, Craig. I don't know why you bring it up, but thank you anyway. Um, <laughs> I just to fit I, you, Gary. Talk about something on your terms. Yeah, bonding with me, I like it. Um, I mean. To be honest, all that I've been watching, I'm not going to talk about it, all I've been watching is The, the Sopranos. I've nearly ah. finished it, but we've already talked about The Wire. We're not going to do a typical 30-year-old male podcast and do The Wire and The Sopranos. So instead, I am going to talk about a couple of books that I've been reading on the back of the um, sort of explosion of interest in Black Lives Matter. Uh, and I suppose, in a way, talking about the books I've been reading uh, just uh, sort of demonstrates my privilege, if you will. Um, but I have been reading Natives by Akala, oh, and yeah. uh, I've been reading Between the World and Me by Tennessee Coates as well. Um, so the two books are basically very similar, but in totally different contexts. So Akala's book, Akala is um, Miss Dynamite's brother. I yeah. found that out, and that blew my I mind. To, I used um, to follow him on Twitter. He was he was he was a thoroughly thoroughly interesting guy but I had to unfollow oh, yeah. him he's just too much like he just like uh, on his timeline it's just he retweets a lot of stuff and it just kind of spams up the timeline but as a Cal himself I find him a very very fascinating guy I think he's got a lot, certainly a lot to say for himself a lot of interesting stuff to say for himself yeah and we've probably seen him um, I say debating uh <laughs> Um, mugging off Tommy uh, yeah yeah mugging off uh, Tommy Robinson um, he's also did an interview with uh, James O'Brien um, but he's uh, this book came out in 2018 and it basically it's part biography I think online I've seen it compared a little bit to uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X in terms of its structure so it's autobiographical but what he uses is he uses his life story and his experiences growing up to speak about the issues of institutional racism, systemic racism and so on, um, as well as just it's incredibly accessible as well and the reason that I mention that is the other book I've mentioned by Tennessee Coates he's an American commentator um, I've got another book of his I've not read yet which is called We Were Eight Years in Power which is about the Obama years okay. um, but he's actually I think he was quite critical of Obama because he felt that Obama didn't do enough while he was in power to actually advance the cause, if you will, to advance equality. Um, but Tanisi Coates' book is much more, um, I don't know if you call it philosophical or lyrical or poetic, but the way it's yeah, written it definitely is, is. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm clearly not him because I, I can't find the words to describe it, but it's <laughs> a lot more, um, generic's not fair either, but 
as a book, you don't you come away with a sense of what he's been through. Um, but unlike with Akala's book, he can sort of uh, there's a section at the front where he goes through the um, the sort of the key things that people say whenever you speak about racism. Um, you know, the sort of the key arguments against it, if you will. Um, not against racism, but against, you know, no, this, you know, we're not racist because of, you know, X, Y, or Z, um, you know, meritocracy and all that jazz. And he just systematically goes through them and debunks each of them in a very quick and easy way. Whereas with Tennessee Coates' book, it's more just you leave that feeling quite not downtrodden but quite you know depressed because uh, it's the book takes the form of a letter that he's written to his 15 year old son and basically it's just a long form letter telling him um that you know because of the color of your skin um life isn't going to be easy be for you yeah 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 uh, i've i've read um, both of the quotes books uh and we were eight years in power is really good so it's it's a uh, uh collection of some of his works that he's he done that for the Atlantic at that point uh, and then uh, one of the things that happens during these times is because he is quite critical of Obama is Obama invites him in so he has a relationship with Obama as well um, so that's quite interesting and, and one of the one of, one of the things he's best known for is making the the case for reparations for uh, for African Americans and you know it was one of those things that you kind of offhand think when you hear about it, you're like well that doesn't really make a lot of sense sort of thing and then you when you read his argument for it you're like oh yeah i can i can i, I can see this happening like i uh, i don't think it actually will happen but you, you can make the case for it definitely very interesting very interesting thank you gary those are actually natives is something that i've been uh meaning to, to to get around to at some point um but that's uh, that thank you for for bringing that to the forefront of my consciousness and it's good to see that that you yourself taking a wee bit of uh time to reflect over what's happened over the past month or so. Uh, we'll move on to something that we're perhaps a bit ambivalent about, something we're on the fence about, as it were. Uh, we finished with you, Gary. Uh, we'll just start with you again. What are you sort of ambivalent about? That's fine. I am about to slaughter a sacred cow here of, um, again, 30-year-old uh, guys' opinions on TV shows, and I'm going to pick on HBO's Succession. I have been trying to get through the two seasons of it for weeks, if not months now, and I find the episodes a slog. Um, I think that it's like, or it's not really like it, but uh, when I watched Breaking Bad, I watched it on the recommendation of a flatmate of mine, and my flatmate said, look, it's got a really slow start, but just, just keep going with it, and eventually you know, you'll get there, and the pace will pick up, yeah. and you really enjoy it and it slogged through Breaking Bad up until about maybe halfway through the second season uh, the episode with the tortoise in the head if that makes sense to anyone who's watched Breaking Bad and from that moment on I think Gus Fring came into Breaking Bad shortly after that or shortly before it and from that moment on I was hooked and I was into it was it as far into it as that? that, that it was, I mean I was enjoying it but like he kept telling me oh it gets so good it gets so mm. you know it, it really grabs you but it hadn't really grabbed me I was enjoying it that hadn't grabbed me yeah, and that's what's it? happened with Succession um, I've been told by uh, well I say been told I've read on the internet the end of the first season that'll be you know it's explosive it's boom that'll be the bit that gets you and I know what they're talking about but when I watched it it didn't really do anything for me and I think a big part of it for me is the dialogue it's 
vaguely similar to Arrested Development. Obviously, it's not a comedy, it's a totally different type of show, but it has that almost hyper-realistic dialogue between the characters, um, which, and, you know, they're always sort of wisecracking a little bit or, you know, really slagging each other off, but it just doesn't, or hasn't to date done anything for me. And at the moment, I am basically just trying to work through to the episode which is filmed in Dundee, and that is <laughs> that's all I'm doing now. Um, I will keep going with it because the fact that it's got such critical acclaim, and I know that a few of the Good Brothers here really uh, love Succession as well, so I figure there must be something to it. But at the moment, season two, episode five, I think, and I'm still, it's not been for me so far, and it's got all the ingredients to be for me. I think Graham Thulis himself has said that, you know, if he could um, pitch a TV show, he would have pitched this exact TV show and, like, all the characters in it, the subject matter, etc., etc. Um, and I sort of agree with that, but it's just not... It's not really come to pass for me so far. Is it anything to do with the, the fact that all the characters are so unlikable? There isn't really anyone to hang your hat on particularly it didn't really bother me but I could I could understand if that was that was something that was an issue I mean there's no I mean again totally different show and I've mentioned it already but with the rest of development none yeah. of the characters are really uh, <laughs> no, you, you don't really want any of them to succeed but I've, I don't have a problem with thoroughly dislikable characters with you know um, I there's not really any violent characters in succession but you know if people are psychopaths on a show or violent or awful people I can still find them really interesting characters um, but with I don't know what it is there's just something that I'm really struggling with and I don't know if it's maybe because my expectations were set really high because I came to it later than everybody else did I think so I had these really high expectations for it and it's just it's not quite lived up to those yet but time will tell I, I, think, really I, I, I think expectations are a huge thing because uh, like I I like I'm, I I think I'm when your position when it came to Breaking Bad I found Breaking Bad to be just a slog I did I just did not uh, I didn't I didn't get it. like and that, I mean that, that was, I started watching it after it finished if that makes sense so like yeah, yeah there was no and I just I was like this is not that great but and but whereas I love Succession and it does it does everything for me so yeah I think it's I think there is an element of the expectations that you come into a show with also uh, impacts your enjoyment. Yeah, but anyway, I'm going to be a something to say that I wasn't that bored about Breaking Bad. The fact, I was more like Gary. The the first two series I found a a bad slog, uh, but I, I thought it ultimately paid off. That kind of slow character building stuff actually ends up paying off but yeah I know I, I, I really enjoy Succession as well it's uh, one of those shows that's uh, for me just kind of zips along and it's just a, it's it's quite an easy watch for me like it's just a kind of an hour of people Being calling each other assholes <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I but I, I find it just is uh, kind of very easy and it, there isn't anyone that's likeable but they're all they're all I thought the characters are all kind of fairly well kind of drawn within the fact that they're all kind of fairly unpleasant they've got a bit of subtlety to them um, and uh, yeah Brian Cox holds it together but yeah it's um, yeah it's, what, it does feel like one of those shows you can't really say that you're not enjoying particularly so this is a this is a brave shout Kathy well done for coming out I've, I'm just glad that I have the support of my peers in this it's, it means a lot to me <laughs> I'm going to go with a brave shout as well because the sort of thing that, that is kind of it's probably ambivalent about I'm kind of going to watch what I say here it's it's 
I think people, particularly men, speaking about mental health is, is very important. We're seeing increasingly over the last few years that, that men are being encouraged to talk to their friends. So, you know, it's, it's okay to, to, to not be okay to open up. And if you're, if you're worried about something, just talk about it. You know, these, 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 are, all, these are all very important. But what I've seen increasingly is, is people who use mental health as a defense to shut down legitimate criticism. About uh, about something they may have done. Uh, it comes from a fairly uh, very mediocre football player uh, who has since become a, a pundit with a very mediocre panel, and uh, someone who consistently tends to get things wrong. Uh, and when when was was called out for for sort of a, a degree of uh, two facedness, um, didn't really post anything. But then set a post like about if, if anyone's experiencing problems with mental health, come to me. And I felt, it might be a bit cynical to, to look at it this way, but I, I sort of felt as though that was posted to get away from criticism. Because, I mean, mental, nobody should be criticised for, for, for experiencing problems or mental health. You know, we all, it affects us all, you know, I'm, I'm sure every, every, most people here have, have experienced some form of, of, of difficulty. So it is, it's great to talk about it, and it's great that we're in seeing increasingly safe spaces, but I do worry that, that it can be, used like that in that way it's just sort of like a subject that where nobody's going to be critical of people experiencing issues of mental health it's using that to, to just move away from criticism full stop yeah, I think uh, there's a, there is a big uh, problem and, it, I don't, and it's not just mental health like it's, it's one of the uh, shields that some people use uh, online to reject any accountability or mm. criticism of you know that of you know, the fact of the matter is uh you should be held to account if you're if you have a big prof uh, platform people will hold you to account on the things you say and do like, you know that that's that's not uh unsurprising and part of that with that with that responsibility of having a big platform is that uh you have to be accountable for your actions and and to uh own the things you say or the things you do and so to yeah that kind of rejection of that and using either mental health or say that oh, i've been attacked online or i've been trolled uh you know it, you know being legitimately criticized is not trolling yeah like, like there's a there's a, if someone's got a legitimate critique of work you've done or things you've said that is not trolling uh, the, you may disagree that you and and you know, if it's quote tweeted and or if we're talking about Twitter you know, and that encourages a pile on or what what have you, then yeah that you can maybe you can maybe have uh, complaints about that but yeah using uh, using uh, those words and uh, those concerns to shut down yeah. conversations about you uh, about things you've said and done isn't helpful. Aye, there was there was someone else as well. I mean, most of the people I follow on Twitter is within. Uh, the, the the football sphere. There was someone else who was criticised for perhaps taking on a, a piece of work that, that he shouldn't have done, uh, and was and I thought he deserved legitimate criticism for that. But then he, he posted a blog and he started talking about like Caroline Flack. This is this is not and say whatever happened to about when Caroline Flack I'd be kind, and it was that idea where because that because you have done something that, that in my opinion warranted criticism and warranted people to ask difficult questions. That suddenly it's like you say, oh, I'm, I'm having to switch off. I was like, people have got different thresholds for for what they can uh, for for what they can they can 
take in. Right, yeah. Uh, but I just thought that was like, whoa, you've really, you've really kind of gone uh, beyond the beyond the score there with that one. And on the talk, when people say I'm stepping back from Twitter, I would usually interpret that as meaning taken. I mean, obviously, it's you know up to each individual person with their individual thresholds, as you say. But I would imagine that then that would entail you stepping away from Twitter for days or maybe weeks, probably not hours. Like we've mm. we've probably all had a bit of a bit of a barney yeah. with someone in a WhatsApp group, and we've gone right, sort this, chucked our phone to the side, and then a few hours later, gone. Actually, I was maybe a you know I was maybe a bit harsh there, or let bygones be bygones, and pick up the phone again and go, sorry about that, mate, and then you carry on. That for me is not really stepping away. Like stepping away is a much more uh, sort of conscious, deliberate, not in and of the moment, but because there is an actual massive situation kicking off, whatever it might be. If it's just the case that you don't, you know, you've become a bit annoyed because you've had an argument with someone and you just don't want to think about it for a while, that to me doesn't equal stepping away. But that's that's more terminological yeah, disputes no, that's, than that's, anything else. But. The number one rule of Twitter is anyone that makes a big deal about leaving Twitter will it will almost certainly, actually no, will be back on the mm. platform within hours, days, weeks. Like there's, uh, you know, the people that leave Twitter don't say they're leaving Twitter. <laughs> if you know what I mean, like they just stop yeah. using the account or delete the account. Like, but those that make the big deal, there's definitely a few um, newspaper columnists that are like that, and and get a column out of why they're leaving Twitter. And lo and behold, two weeks later, they're they're back online mm-hmm. saying, oh, "Who's that? Who's thanks. done that, Duncan?" Uh, Chris Deeran's definitely done that. Nah. Don't know who. Don't know. Don't know who he is. Great, Graham Linehan. I, 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 oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of fascinated by how I don't know how how glad the class is, but he he does. I, I, and I don't follow him, but I, occasionally stuff gets kind of shared that I end up going back down the, the rabbit hole with him about how he managed to get radicalised by Twitter but anyway, he seems to have had it he, he seems to have done that a number of times of going right, I've had enough and then two hours later he's back on retweeting stuff about it so, um, it's, it's, it's astonishing it's like, I remember like when you first started using Twitter, you're going back to like 2000 you go back 10 years ago like when when people would first, like Twitter became like a thing where, where a lot of people would start using it and you and followed like Stephen the, Fry that was it. Just about to say there, your, the follows would Stephen Fry was like always recommended as like the number one person to follow on Twitter. Stephen Fry, Graham Linehan as well, beloved on Twitter, and it is just you go back and you just look at his account, and it's like fucking hell. It's like I feel like he's daft. The limb is like, what happened to you, son? <laughs> it's just, it's fucking hell. It's just so obviously like 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 I I, I don't understand like trans issues are. Oh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't get my head around it. I'm not a qualified person to talk about it, but the way I see it is like the trans community is probably one of the most marginalised communities, the most misunderstood communities in in the country. And I think that the, the people deserve a lot of like like support to get through. It's a very, very difficult time. But him, there was a charity, I remember that when he really got his arse felt, uh, sorry, his arse booted, was um, the, the Mermaids Charity that, that sort of provides support for, for young people who are experiencing sort of issues with like like gender identity, and he basically went on Mumsnet and in, and, and basically mobilised Mumsnet. And I've only the only time I have I, heard of Mumsnet was in Pine Bovril context, where they actually had to get a cease and desist letter uh, to to Dev, which is very funny. Go and look that up, episode up once you're finished. 
but Mum's net is an absolute cesspool, like of of sort of like like fairly tree basically. Yes, aye, aye. That's that's actually very well put. He mobilised them to 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 write to their like, to try and get Mermaid shut down, and then I think it did. It lost its funding. I'm sure lottery funding. That's what it was. It lost mm. its funding and looked as though it could go out of business. But then this guy uh, went was a gamer and gamed for something like like forty hours solid to raise money for the charity, and it, it uh, completely exceeded expectations. But it's like with Linhan. It's like I only go on his timeline a couple of times, but oh, geez, oh man, it is, it is desperate stuff. That is a man who, not just, you know, he say I'm stepping back for you, but someone go in and just take his phone off him. <laughs> just, just, for, just for his own good. Somebody take his phone off him for, for his own good. Uh, anyway, Andy, uh, what are you sort of on the fence about, my friend? Yeah, massive about turn here. Uh, right, um, what are your favourite indie bands? Right. Have you got have you got any particular favourite ones? You too. Right. <laughs> does, that, does that count? What, what find, a band uh, from Ireland called You Too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Duncan Gary, have you got any other huge ones like Rolling Stones or Led Zeppelin? I know, man, there's, a, there's a band from Liverpool called The Beatles. This is this is going quite far off topic, but uh, basically my, my uh, the thing I'm totally ambivalent about is uh, is kind of indie bands. So there is uh, in general occasionally uh, yes yeah in general. So uh, if people the bands like uh, the Strokes, uh, Arctic Monkeys, Arcade Fire, any of the bands that have a the in the title, like I just I'm, I'm totally ambivalent to all of them. I, I don't I don't hate them. I'm but I don't like them and I don't listen to any of them and I never have. It's 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 this kind of weird blind spot. When I'm probably in the age where I should have been listening to some of that stuff, but I was in, um, around about the times the kind of stoke, the, the strokes were out, I was into um, metal mainly and it was probably pretty much only metal at that point. And ever since then, I kind of just, I mean, I'm not just into metal now. In fact, I hardly listen to any metal, but I... Uh, I just have never got back into them, and whenever you know, whenever I hear any of those bands, there's nothing particularly about it that makes me want to go back and and reappraise it. The, the the Arctic Monkeys' last album was quite interesting. It was it was a wee bit um, different to what I was expecting. That there was a wee bit of a Kent Bowie and stuff in it, which I find kind of interesting. But yeah, in general, like uh, there was a there was a conversation. Occasionally, there seems to be a, a indie conversation breaks out on uh, the WhatsApp group, and I've just got nothing to ever contribute to it because I, I just don't know who any of the songs or any of the bands are. You mean you're I'm, not familiar with the Rakes or the Pigeon Detectives? No, no, uh, the Pigeon no. Detectives. I must have heard the Pigeon Detectives about a million times in the name, but I've never actually listened. To oh man, you, uh, the album. The album. I, I album wish I was only you, Andy. I wish I was you, Andy. The album is. <laughs> only about 22 <laughs> minutes long and it's got like 13 <laughs> songs on it. <laughs> it's like Joe's schedule refers to it like unironically as a masterpiece. You ask him about it, it's straight face, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Just like Craig Fowler saying that Witch Bitch is one of the greatest Scottish albums of all time. <laughs> oh my god, of all the albums to pick. Rebecca's okay, but the rest of it, man, dee 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 me. So just, will, Andy, so endings, you, you're, you're saying you're, you're completely on the fence about an entire genre. Yeah, genre, <laughs> yeah. Every single band, every song ever produced. So young, 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 young white, white guy, no opinions on it. Young white no, guy, no. 
playing the electric guitar is not for you. No, no, not, no well, uh, not those particular young white guys playing guitars. It was other kind of young white guys playing slightly heavier guitars, or what, what I was into. And now it's kind of women playing guitars. So yeah, none of it didn't really, it didn't really uh, fall into my wheelhouse. It's, it's like I'm kind of interested. The scene's interesting. Or is that because you meaning to get about the Strokes and other kind of New York bands? Meet me yeah. in the bathroom. Yeah, it's yeah. terrific. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would, I would like to read that, but I can't. I've held off because of the fact I don't know any of the bands or any of their. No, I don't. I don't think that's a. That's. I think uh, what I would suggest anyone hasn't read that before is read. Please Kill Me First, which is about punk, it's the same, it's an oral history mm-hmm. uh, about punk in New York in the 70s, and so like it, uh, uh, yeah, it leads on from there, and mm-hmm. it, essentially um, you can identify, someone said that basically, New York's music scene is much to do with like the, the uh, to do with real estate than anything else and it's basically <laughs> like, the scenes emerge from places where rents are cheap Right, right. Ah, yeah, no, I think I, I might well because I quite like oral histories as well. So I think I will at some point get that. But yeah, the the none of the none of the the music has ever done much for me. I'm afraid. I, I will come in and, despite the fact you've shot a bullet right through my heart with that statement, Andy, um, <laughs> I will also defend you as well because I think one of the I read an article once that said, and it's not just that basic thing of the music you listen to as a teenager is the music that will stick with you the longest, but genuinely. I think scientists have measured that um, when you play music that people listen to when they were 16, 17, 18, whatever, it lights up parts of the brain that other music doesn't, which then suggests that you sort of override the actual quality of the music, if you will. Mm. But I think what it also does is it also probably makes it quite difficult for people to get into things retrospectively from that era if they don't if they're not attuned to that music anyway. So, for example, if uh, if I tried to listen to I don't know, like Marilyn Manson or Slipknot or another metal band, mm-hmm. you can tell I'm really into the metal Corn. bands. Um, yeah, <laughs> Corn, that's the other one. I knew there was another one. Um, Only by yeah. the hoodies, that's it. By the hoodies of the people at school, it was Corn and Slipknot with the folk yeah. that went around in the hoodies. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, I probably couldn't get into it, but that's not to say um, that, you know, the music is... You know, shite or anything. It's just it's not what I listened to at the time, so it's not actually wrapped up in a lot of other things. And I mean, if you mentioned that there was a, a big indie chat, Robert Borthwick uh, shared a eighteen-hour playlist, Spotify playlist of landfill indie, and some of the bands. I mean, it's only got one song per band, and I've not heard of half of them. And I was really into this type of music as well. I mean. The likes of Viva Brother, All the Young, Spectre, Howler. I remember Spectre. Sorry, Viva Brother are an interesting one. They they were called Brother. I had to change their name because of a band in the United States that were also called Brother. But Viva Brother, uh, I I, I found them quite fascinating, um, only in retrospect. Their album got an absolute fucking kicking on the quietest. It got something like 0.4. It got an absolute shoe in Pitchfork as well. And it's like... It's like a homage to like 90s guitar music, like um, sort of Great Escape era Blur. And that's not a, that is not a good period of, of Blur. And it's just, it's completely charmless. You've got a song called Darling Buds of May. And the chorus goes, her birthday's in May, her birthday's in May. It is what it is. It is what it is. And that's that is like the, the, the depth of, of uh, that's the depth here. Again, they're, they're a fascinating band actually to, to check out. Um, just because just how bad they were. 
And that's what the guy as well said, like, under the, they got signed, that was the other thing as well, they got signed very, very quickly off the back of about three or four gigs. And um, I'm sure their singer said something like, if you don't want to, he said, but they played a song, and then he said, if you don't want to see the future of rock and roll, please leave now. I've never heard of them. And then, <laughs> no, no, no. his brother uh, on a landfill indie playlist. <laughs> By <laughs> but this is what landfill is interesting because it would have come, it would have come off the back of MySpace. This is when I was playing in bands. It would have come off the back of MySpace, and that was at a time where it was the Arctic Monkeys. I mean, to be fair, I know what you're saying, Andy, but the Arctic Monkeys are, are very, very good. You know, they've got great. Mm-hmm. Think about yeah, the first time I heard "I Bet You Look Good" in the dance floor. You're like, "Fuck me, that is a such a good song. That is a really, really good song." And it's just like this shot of adrenaline. Like, boom, amazing song. And it, but I think that it, whether or not it actually happened or whether it's just like a management story, but the idea that they uploaded all their songs onto to MySpace and got signed off the back of it. I think they were a very popular band around Sheffield at the time. But I think for a lot of bands, that's it. Boom, this is where we can, this is where we can kick off there. So it's very easy to, to go and cut a demo and upload it online. I mean, this is a time where, where it was... Where, Dozens of bands. My band was doing it, like like sticking up stuff online. So it's like previously, I think where you'd like you'd go back, go back to about like the late nineties or two thousands. Record companies would be the gatekeepers, and to hear a band, the band would have to spend time in the studio. That would be expensive, and the only way to, to do that was to share it on the radio. But now this was sort of cutting out that gatekeeper, and you could put it on there yourself. And I think a lot of record companies uh, sort of wanted the next Arctic Monkeys, and so a lot of bands who were nowhere near good enough, Pigeon Detectives, brother, were signed up and given uh, given record contracts. You see you see a lot of that just generally in, in music, though, that there's a kind of genre that something like the new metal that I was listening to when I was in high school was the exact same. Like There was a few bands like Korn and whoever else that came out, and, uh, and then there was just this load of... I mean, whatever you think of Corn, I suppose they were at least popular, but there was just this litany of, of turgid, turgid new metal bands that came off the back of that. I mean, cra- crazy town. All, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, they did one good song. Too. Listen, Andy. One really good song. And Slipknot, it's only in, like, at the time thinking, God, they're terrible. In retrospect, it's like Slipknot are really good. No, like, Slipknot are, are good. Yeah. Yeah. Music, musically, they're good. Yeah. Aye, yeah. And it's, it's, final about them. Yeah, what? you're right. You're right. You're right about Arctic Monkeys and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't actually genuinely good bands and genuinely good albums. For me, yeah, and it, maybe it's goes to what Gary was saying about it, but it just always felt slightly. And un- the music seems slightly uninteresting. But I mean, at the, at the time, I was also listening to Limp Biscuit, uh, hot, hot oh, dog, and then chocolate starfish flavored water. <laughs> so I can't really. I can't, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly uh, able to, to pass on it, but yeah, uh, it was uh, yeah. They're, they're definitely was clearly, and I think looking back on it, they're clearly. I can I can appreciate some of the albums, but just have no real interest in listening to them. Maybe worth a, a separate podcast uh, where we actually rather than watch movies, we go back and listen to um, the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water, and uh, give a give a thoughts. And take a look around; it's very good. I'll say that. Take a look around. So. It's is, it very good. Yeah. They, they were actually like you count Fred Durst like m- as, as musicians they were absolutely like phenomenal musicians like Sam Rivers and was it John Sam mm-hmm. Rivers on the bass and John Otto played drums for them there was a there was a, a podcast uh, that was on Luminary about um, the the 
Uh, Woodstock that happened in '99. Um, oh, that, was that was a horrendous, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, the one that, that um, started kind of fires and everything. And uh, Limp Biscuit were obviously largely blamed for that. And the um, but I, I went back, after that, I kind of went back and looked on YouTube for the their set and see first the set is rubbish. Like it just seems so airless. Like and and. Um, Obviously, Fred Durst kind of. So you're right. The band are very tight. The band are they're good, but it just completely undone live by um, Fred Durst. And it maybe be different if you were there, but just on a kind of film, fifteen years after the event, it just seemed or twenty years after the event, it just seemed totally airless. And the bits where he had to sing were just absolutely cringeworthy. Yeah. I would just like to, as a uh, point, Wes Borland. Uh, Released an album a couple of years ago, 2016, actually, uh, for uh, something that was recommended in James A. Caster's book. Uh, <laughs> that guy. Uh, I, did a, I did an album. It. Did an album based on a fictional computer game, and it's really good. So, <laughs> wow, that <laughs> sounds amazing. Well, well Duncan, will, will your mouth open just now? What is something you're in the fence about? Uh, the Barclays Premiership is back and it's annoying me already. Uh, um, okay. It's called the Premier League, so if you're going to slag it off, get your facts right first. Well, exactly. It's that, le- level, it's that level of tediousness that, in- that involves with all their, their fans that, that gets me. Uh, and I think it was kind of exemplified last night in the, with the uh, Roy Keane's halftime rant um, thing, which was just... I kind of I felt that our producers probably wound them up to say stuff like that just to get eyeballs back on back on the um on the on the games um because it was just so over the top it was kind of, it was unnecessary uh, and also it kind of exemplifies why uh, Roy Keane is no longer in management I was going to say have have you ever met Roy Keane before because to me it was just him full stop Listen, listen, as a well-known pundit, Duncan, said last night, I laugh at this, but exactly how a top sportsman should be. Sad that society doesn't allow for it now. How do you respond to that? Was that Roger Mitchell? It wasn't. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) I think I'd talk about that stupid specky cunt in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I think Roy Keane's an interesting one. I think Roy Keane, for a while, got got pigeonholed with that... um, grumpy old man tag and I do actually think Roy Keane has got a lot of interesting stuff to listen to yeah that's what annoys me about him that he, first, that he comes like, up with stuff I, like that I find him like a very complex certainly when he was younger like his first autobiography the second one I was a bit on the fence about that I should have done that a bit on the fence about it, but his first autobiography was excellent he talks about like I mean a real proper man who had pro- anger issues problems with yeah. drugs and the whole stuff about like going to Saipan for for the World Cup. That is the, the final chapter of that book about what happens there is, is tremendous. Like just about thinking he actually went there thinking they could get to the semi finals of the World Cup and then when they pitched up and they didn't even any balls for training. You know, it's a uh, it's it, it's a, it's shove, a great... shove the world shove the World Cup up your arse, that's what he told me to McCarthy. Oh, it's not stick up your ball <laughs> stick, up, right. stick up your ball. But it's great, it's like that that whole chapter's brilliant. He talks about Mick McCarthy having a copy of the newspaper and he says like he pulled it from behind him like Paul fucking Daniels and it's just uh, it, it's great. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a great story but he he is sort of fitted into this persona. I think particularly when he was doing punditry and ITV 
he he became this sort of like grumpy old man where he would just it's a persona. It feels like a persona as opposed to what he's actually like. I would imagine. However, when he moved to Sky recently, I thought he really like people like Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher sort of challenged him and brought him out of his comfort zone. And I thought that that he was he was good he was good at, at, at giving giving opinions. But but last night the, the stuff at half time with David De Gea. I can I can see where he's coming from, right? However, that is just sort of like your da down the pub after one too many shandies. That's not what you're wanting to hear from uh, a guy who's paid hundreds of thousands of pounds to give an opinion. It's just lazy. Anyone can come up with that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think that's the point. And, and it, it, that way that he is doesn't like I don't know, like someone's point out last night. It's like you can't bully folk on three hundred grand a week. You know, yeah. like that's that's the reason why he's not going to be a top class manager because you can't because the days of uh, of just shouting at people doesn't get them any better. Like a, a, a wee story for you, Duncan. Sort of like along the lines of this, it was uh, Paolo Di Canio went from Swindon to Sunderland. I, I got told this from from an associate who was was well connected with with people at Sunderland at the time, and he he took an instant dislike to Lee Catermo, Paolo Di Canio. And basically he said, like, you're not going to play for me. You're, you're not going to play for me, so you might as well look for a new club. And Catamull just said to him, listen to me, I'm on a five-year contract. I'll, I'll be here before you. I'll still be here uh, by the time you leave. And it's that idea, like, it's Swindon. And I'm sure, uh, I don't know if this has been talked about an open goal, because I know that, that, that Simon Ferry played for played for Pillow of the Cannons. I don't know if this has been spoken about. It was that idea that it's easy to, to sort of, like, like, push guys around who will maybe go from like one year, year to year contracts, maybe two, one year to two year contracts, very short scales of time for, for where the money is far less. So there is guys who will fall into line. You can't do that when guys are getting paid tens of thousands of pounds a week. Um, and I know they can outlast you. I heard, who, Lee Carmel saying there that I can, I can outlast you. I'll be here longer before you. So you can stick me in the reserves all you want, mate. That's fine, but I'll still be here. There's, not, there's nothing you can do about it. It sounds like the wire actually when they try to get rid of Burrell, but that's, we don't want to go back to uh, that, that sort of the, the discussion there. But, but you're right, I that's, that's why we as a manager. It's, just, it's quite interesting that so many people respond to that and think, I well, he's telling it like it is. That's how, that's how it should be for, 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 for players. But it's, you're right, it's, it's moved that, on. Yeah, like I, the, the, there's a story I, I sometimes tell that, that when, because <laughs> it's, it's the same, like it's a work environment, right? So, like, you you don't get better by being berated. A lot, like, it might work for some people, I get that, and that is tailoring your individual management stuff. But I'm, we played a, I was playing eights a couple of years ago, and I, we had a boy who was very competitive and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I was going ballistic because oh, we're losing in a game of eight, so it doesn't really matter that much. And so, and one of the boys, that, another good player on the team, probably the second best player, just turned around to him and just went, "Kyle, what part are you calling him a cunt makes him a better player?" Yeah, like you know, the the, the berating someone for not being as good as you are, like only gets you so far. Uh, and me and Gary are, are reading at the moment for another uh, patron, um, Pointless, uh, by uh, Jeff Connor about the, the East Sterling chart. And th- th- what I'm taking, what I take away from that is just there's no man management. It's just berating people the whole time as if that's going to somehow make people better players. Yeah. And, the, and that level of punditry, like what I want from, uh, from Roy Keane's level of punditry is what you can do something that none of us could do. Like, you were an elite player, so, like, yeah. what does that mean? Like, so saying, oh, I'd punch him in, I'd, I'd, I'd be ask, uh, you know, punch him in the face or whatever, like, that's useless. Or I'd, I'd, or I'd, uh, he could, put, I wouldn't, they wouldn't be travelling on the team coach back. 
anyone, like you, as you were saying, anyone can say that down in the pub. It's it's so reactionary. Like tell, like surely the difference is like how how, how how does it matter on Monday when you go back into training? Right, see if you're a player and, that, and your manager said, listen, uh, you guys are on the coach, but he's not. I'd be like, well, fuck off. I'm not getting mm. on the coach either. I would, I would not, mm. not want this, your teammate, uh, uh, your mate treated like that. I, I suppose I, 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 I totally agree on the kind of shouting thing. It comes back to, I think, I was maybe on this one where we were talking about um, the Jordan documentary. But um, So I, I agree with all that. I suppose from the, the pundit side of things, you're right, it, it's not very... Uh, you know, it's not. I'll give much insight into what it was like when he was there, or when he was a manager, or anything like that. But I suppose what you're going up against is Patrice Evra, who isn't, you know, as an example, isn't very interesting as a pundit, or any number of other people who aren't very interesting as a pundit. I mean, the the, the reason that Roy Keane and Gary Neville, I mean, Gary Neville uh, gets praised for actually kind of giving intelligent analysis, but I suppose Roy Keane at least is given entertainment. If, if, I suppose if you see football in the kind of same way that you see professional wrestling or something, Roy Keane's giving you a, a, a bit of entertainment. I, I, I watched the clip afterwards and it, it, his indignation was funny, if nothing else. If you take away the language, some of the, the kind of looks that he, I mean, he, he looked furious and some of that is, is entertaining if the um, if you kind of don't take it too seriously. I think if yeah, it was Scottish I think, that, foot, I think yeah, that's yeah. the problem with Roy Keane does take it I know, too, I know. Take it, like that's So, like one of my favourite pundits is, um, all, all across all sports, is a guy called Joe Brawley in the GA uh, and he they, you know because they pay for free like they, they don't get, get paid and stuff like that so there's a philosophy behind his punditry you know when he's talking about stuff like that and but also he is the first to admit that it's the most important least important thing yeah. the thing with Keen is you got no sense of him doing it like he's doing it because uh, to him actually this is life and death and I think that's the that that's what concerns me is there's probably no off switch for him well in the Peter Crouch podcasts, uh, there's a there's a little running theme at the moment of people who have met Roy Keane in real life and asked for photographs with him and things like that, and he's just permanently furious. Well, uh, there, was one ask- where, there was one where he got asked for a, f- a photograph at a concentration camp, and I can kind of understand that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's like, lads, concentration <laughs> camp. <laughs> That's what, was it, what, what, what was the story that was shared about the, the postage stamp? Was that... Uh, who oh, that was uh, that uh, at Forest. He uh, people would write in uh, for autographs and stuff of players and, and management and stuff like that. And if they didn't include a, a postage stamp to send it back to them, you'd phone them up and uh, berate them for not including it because uh, why should why should Nottingham Forest uh, meet the cost of uh, them getting something for free? Which is levels of t- like that. That's that feels like a Jim McLean sort of thing. Like that, that's a total throwback. That sort of thing. Aye, 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 I say, aye, although to, to me, I'll say this, like, David Hare has made too many uh, high-profile errors, certainly seems, seems to make a lot of high-profile errors, and that's yeah, that made afterwards, it's like, Roy Keane was absolutely spot on where he said, like, it was one for the cameras, I think, because, I mean, to, the way he acrobatically was hand a big flourish to tip it over the crossbar, that um, certainly uh, should say that. I think it's as well. It's going back the stuff that we're kind of told, and I think it's something to be conscious about for for like a, a, when, when we, we do a film of you for the terrace. It's like you don't give these guys a kicking, right? I always I, so you could, I mean there's guys like who's the one that got a kicking? Kasunga was that the boy Gary played for Dundee? At Dundee, yeah. Kasunga, like the season you were relegated, like he was 
Those was rubbish, right? Joe gave, gave him an absolute bleaching. Uh, and and then it was kind of it was edited down a lot and Joe honestly it was like uh, the scene from Reservoir Dogs where the boy gets his ear cut off like except it was like Joe Sked just absolutely bodying this guy and afterwards you kind of just watch your language where, where it's like you kind of talk about if players are playing badly it's like you know you use things like hasn't had the impact expected of him didn't leave much of an impression and, and, and so on because it's like it's easy to say someone's shite you know it is it's really easy to say oh he's fucking he fuck, my granny could have scored that you know and she's, she's she's passed over for like 20 years and she's a spirit and spectres aren't made of matter so how would she score and and where, where it's a lot more difficult to try and talk something up and make make something good uh, and maybe that's that's just something that I, I don't know maybe people like just, just finding the negatives I mean I watch shite movies for instance all the time um, but <laughs> That actually segues quite nicely, in fact, onto, onto this next one. Now, uh, as most people know, we will review a movie every week. Uh, generally, it's been quite an, quite an enjoyable process so far. Uh, but the law of averages says if everything's been good fun, there might be a time when it's, it's not so much good fun. And that perhaps happened this week when we reviewed Wild at Heart. Now, Wild at Heart is by acclaimed director David Lynch, who's, who's directed, well, certainly Mulholland Drive, one of my favourite movies. This 1990 movie stars Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern as a pair of star-crossed lovers travelling to California and pursued by private investigators and assassins. It's a very violent movie in parts. There's one scene in particular that's that's, that's just extraordinary. And it's there's a a heightened sense of realism throughout the thing. We can talk about those in depth, but I'll start with yourself, Andy Harrow. Because you were watching it for five minutes and texted to say, <laughs> this is a trip. So we'll go to yourself, Andy. What did you think of David Lynch's Wild at Heart? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I absolutely hated it. I really <laughs> did not enjoy it. I, uh, I, I, found it, I found it an utter slog for the two hours, five minutes that it was on. Every single minute of it was, was painful. The, uh, the, I suppose oh, the thing, as, I suppose it, as bad as that? No, I, I really, really didn't enjoy it. I, I suppose the, the, for me, to be fair, my heart kind of sank when I realised that it was a David Lynch film because I, I know loads of folk love David Lynch, but I can absolutely, I can't get on board with them. I've never, I've never enjoyed the stuff. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really get on board with Twin Peaks. I, I think I pretended to like Mulholland Drive. I had it on DVD, and I think I kind of justified to myself that I enjoyed it, but I just find it kind of confusing. Mulholland um, Actually, Mulholland Drive would have been one I'd, I'd have picked, but I just could weld at heart. Well, that was a movie. It was, it was me that picked it, and I think this will be the. the the, the reason I picked Wild at Heart was because when, when it comes to suggesting films, uh, it comes to picking films, suggestions are chucked in there. And they're all generally quite good suggestions, uh, but nobody really comes to it like saying, yes, well, we kind of agree a consensus. So I think this is, I sort of just said, listen, we'll do this. No more. When it mm -hmm. comes, this is the last time I pick a movie, it comes to somebody else can pick. So like next week, if you're on, Andy, you pick the movie. Don't No, no uh, concessions at all, no consultation. Pick the movie and go into it. That's what I did with this. I wanted to see Wild Heart. Like I said, I like Mulholland Drive. I would have preferred to do Mulholland Drive. Actually, I think that's more an interesting movie. But because this came on Netflix, we can all watch it for free. Uh, that's that's why that's why this one was selected. <laughs> and and I'd, I'd never seen it to be fair. So so I didn't mind. I didn't mind the idea of watching something that I hadn't seen. But yeah, I I find that I endure. It's the, it's the kind of heightened sense of reality thing. The kind of dark kind of oddity to it. I, I just. 
yeah, it just leaves me really cold. And then with this one, there was just so many other elements of it that I just <laughs> deeply annoying. So, yeah, uh, yeah, not, yeah, a, not a fan you're of gonna be, You're going to be the voice here that, that steps in and, and sort of goes the other way. I'm sure you. this is a movie you really got behind. This was tedious art school shite. It was the one of the biggest waste of two hours of my life and I've been to Dens Park more times than David Lynch has gratuitously included references to The Wizard of Oz in this movie. Um, it was just... I mean, when you suggest that, I've I've seen bits of Twin Peaks but I've never watched it. Um, but I knew the reputation it had uh, and from watching anything that David Lynch does, you sort of get where he's coming from. So I had a little bit of trepidation going into it, but that was balanced by the fact that Nicolas Cage was in it, because I generally am a big fan of Nicolas Cage. Um, you sort of, in a weird way, you know what you're getting, even though you don't know what you're going to get until you watch it, if that makes sense. Um, so you know that there's going to be a magnetic performance from him. Um, I like Laura Dern as well, so I thought, well, you know, and Willem Dafoe yeah. uh, comes up in it with a terrible set of uh, Nashers. Um, which I'm sure we'll come to. but So there were lots of elements of this that I thought, this could be all right, it could be uh, a bit of a trip, but no, it was for a movie that was filled with, uh, as has already been said, gratuitous violence. I've got nothing against gratuitous violence at all. I've watched all the Game of Thrones. Uh, I've watched Quentin Tarantino movies galore. I've got nothing against it, um, but it just bored me. I felt like it's the sort of movie that... and. I'm sure we'll come on to the critical reception to it and what audiences thought later on, but um, I think people that enjoyed this movie think they have to enjoy it because it's David Lynch, um, whereas I am very much in Roger Ebert's camp. Um, I had a look at what he had to say. He Somebody, somebody's read movie. Wikipedia before they... Yes, abs- I absolutely did because I thought there's got to be some sort of redeeming qualities here which I have maybe not picked up on, but it feels like a film lover's film and for that reason, uh, Clive, I say no, it is not I, for me in the slightest. Bury it in the desert and let's never speak of it again. I thought that I I didn't think it was as bad as you, you two are, are making it to be. There were times in it where I was sort of like, I, I mean, I watched it in two parts. I watched half of it last night and half of it this morning. I, I suppose like last night, I, I, I was quite tired. So I watched it after the, the, the Man United uh, Tottenham game. And as you said, I, I liked Mulholland Drive, and I suppose I really like Mulholland Drive. I don't want to spend too much time talking about a movie we're, we're, we're not reviewing. But I really like Mulholland Drive because I really like the sense of like doppelgangers and the sense of, of dreams and the sense of, of like the unreal, the, this, this sense of unreality. And particularly with the, the final third of the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about, Andy, if you've seen it, like when the movie switches. Nobody's seen it, right? Nobody knows that bit I'm talking no, about. No, because we're here to talk about the shite movie right. that you picked, sorry. not the one that you like. So. Right. Uh, sorry. But when, when that film, when I really like when that, that, film, that film switches and you sort of get the, 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 the other sense. And so there was parts of this I found quite surreal, like the, like the scene where they go to like a, see a thrash metal band and uh, Lula. Laura Dern's excellent in it, I'll say that. Laura, Dern, is, look, yeah. Laura Dern's amazing. She looks amazing in it, and, and her performance is, is very good in it as well. I like Nicolas Cage is very good in it. Uh, I read on Wikipedia as well that it borrows a lot from Elvis movies, and I don't know if... Uh, I've never seen one, but I don't know if Nick Cage's performance was like to... I don't know how good... Elvis wasn't a very good actor, was he? It was just more, more to cash in. The movies were made to cash in in his celebrity. Yeah. I don't know if his performance was a homage 
to to Elvis, like the way he sort of interacted with uh, some of the characters. I remember right at the start when the guy like Bobby Ray Lemon threatens him with a knife and is very adeptly dispatched, like his brains smashed over like a a stair rail handle. Fucking hell, <laughs> he actually gets leather, doesn't he? Then the camera cut back to him and half his head's like like being yeah. Like that that scene as well where where he gets into a fight with someone and then starts singing Love Me Tender. I was like, right, okay, this is interesting. Maybe it was like I, I, I wouldn't like say like much of a plot or anything, but there were parts of it I liked. Like I would say bits that I found interesting, bits that I found tense. The bit where Bobby Peru, played by um Willem Dafoe, he was actually very good. I actually really liked Willem Dafoe in it as well. Thought so he really looked like he was having a great time playing uh, playing Bobby Peru. Is horrible, horrible teeth. Oh, I don't know how how do you get teeth like that? The wee teeth, like where it's like three quarter gum and just a little bit of teeth. Yeah, but the yeah. bit where, where he goes into the room and he threatens to he threatens like Lula that he's going to have sex with her. That bit is really tense. It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. It's not pleasant to watch, but there's a bit of tension there. So there was bits of this movie that I liked. I like Harry Dean Stanton. I think he's mm-hmm. generally very good. He's got such a, a wizened old face. You know, he's very, very expressive. But uh, I would say there were parts of it that I liked rather than the, the movie itself. And it felt sort of like stitched together, like sort of 10-minute bits pulled together. And I think you mentioned the opening I just wasn't expecting that, and sometimes that's a good thing. But uh, I'm not looking to be spoon-fed everything that's happening and to get you know a nice character, you know, background to everybody. But you know, they're just coming out of the the film theater or wherever they are. And then all of a sudden, someone's trying to kill him, and then he kills them, and then he ends up in jail. And it just seemed to. I thought, have I missed something here? Was I not paying enough attention? Yeah, um, the whole um, the whole thing feels very superficial doesn't it like all the kind of performance apart from Laura Dern I think I think uh, Craig's right Laura Dern's the best thing in it I think like she's the she's the only one that kind of read the New York Times review and it it said Cage and Dern but I would only say Dern kind of are the only thing stopping it completely flying off the rails because and Dern does seem kind of uh, to have a kind of uh, slightly realistic, and she's maybe the only one with any sort of sense of backstory and everything else to it. But she's also she's also believable, even though she sometimes is acting weird as well within it. But but otherwise, it feels everything feels very superficial, as you say. It just it's just things just added in there, and there doesn't seem any great depth behind it. I I I, uh, I didn't think Cage was great, but I never I never thought about that. I know he was kind of impersonating Elvis. But I hadn't really considered they might be impersonating Elvis. Being an actor, which which might be the case, but I, I, yeah, I, I was looking forward to Cage in it, and he just seemed a bit dead behind the eyes the whole time. I thought he just was kind of parroting. That's, that's what I quite, like, that's what I quite mm-hmm. like about it, though. That this this guy, all this incredible stuff has happened to to this young guy, and it just seems to all like no real response to. It. I think I think that was it. Maybe if you're kind of going because having seen I've seen my Holland Drive and and uh, kind of knowing that you're not going to get like a straight movie here there is going to be all these weird elements and kind of watching it like switch it on for the start and then seeing the way these characters like the mother uh, Di- was it Diane Ladd yeah who, uh, Marietta Fortune she's really good in it as well like mm-hmm. I, I thought she was excellent she was, she was very watchable like her scenes when she paints her face with a lipstick uh, pen she's on the phone to, to Harry Dean Stanton I I I quite enjoyed that stuff. It's the sort of stuff where you're kind of going there looking for a like a straight, like a straight basically road movie. 
kind of you're not going to get it here. You've come to you've come to the wrong place. And I, I like that. I, I like that. But it was sometimes a bit of a slogging point. Nah, I, it was shite. <laughs> like I really, like I really didn't enjoy it at all. I thought, uh, aside from Laura Dern, and even and even she was guilty of this at points. Everyone was overacting. Like it, it felt there was it felt gurning at some stages in terms of how everyone was playing it. And I get that the idea is the sense the sensibility of the film is that everything's a bit off kilter type thing. But yeah, oh, I, my sense of it was that everyone involved in making the film had a better time than those watching it. I think it's a real like film person like if you were involved if you're an actor it was a real actor's film or whatever which generally when i hear the term actor's film means that they had a much better time filming it than the the audience will will get at the end of it i just i just it just didn't it just didn't do anything for me and like i'm not like i'm quite a fan of slightly off kilter films and and i deliberately didn't read anything about it went into it completely cold all i knew was that it was uh all, all I knew was a David Lynch film. I didn't even know that Nicolas Cage was in it. I didn't even know that Laura Dern was in it. Um, but I just, I was just, it was a, it was a real slog. Really didn't enjoy it. Um, that that thing about that that the art thing, I, I, I kind of felt that lent itself in a few ways as well. Especially the kind of the the women in it. There's just so many breasts in it that are completely <laughs> completely unnecessary but it, it felt like that way gratuitous in that way but not yeah, absolutely but, only but, it, but it felt like yeah yeah but it felt like oh we can get away with this because this is a David Lynch arty film we, we're allowed to have it when there was actually really no need for for like 99% of it if any of it um, and there was uh, the, the kind of fantastical elements of it in a way were uh, I don't know. I, I didn't really get on board with any of the kind of um, the Wizard of Oz stuff. I, the, the bit at the end with the the good witch kind of coming down and saving Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I think I, I don't think my eyes could have rolled any further back in my head by that point. Um, but I, I just because it was basically I, I read I read about afterwards on Wikipedia and it said that the 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 film was based on a really short kind of road movie book so it was based on I think the book was maybe called World at Heart as well mm, yeah, I think uh, so, yeah and it was but it was a very flimsy kind of book there wasn't really a lot lot to it and obviously David Lynch has kind of built this and uh, stretched out the over yeah, yeah, and that was the thing. It was far, far too long. The, the middle <laughs> section dragged on and on and on. It felt like they could have easily cut at least half an hour just out of that part alone. The fact that they immediately go from, you know, you're not even introduced to the character. So, see, when I saw the first scene, I thought the rest of the movie would be some sort of flashback to how they got to the first scene, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. And there were points where they, you know, do go back and refer to it, but. I still don't feel like there was enough. It just felt like you were sort of dropped into the story, um, and you never really, truly got enough of a of a background to it to to actually really get into it. I mean, the movie that it reminded me of, um, I think I've mentioned it either on this podcast before or on the group chat, one or the other, is Guy Ritchie's Revolver. Oh, it's it. I, I had the same. I I had the same visceral reaction to this movie that I had to that one, which was, I think the director is trying to be, you know, trying to build something where he goes, there's a lot of layers to this, so there's so much going on, you probably won't understand it, and immediately that just made me think, no, this is, you know, you're trying too hard here. 
I think you just didn't get it, Gary. That is exactly what David Lynch would say. <laughs> is, is that what would happen with Mulholland mm. Drive as well, Craig? You seem to want to talk about Mulholland Drive. <laughs> you know, I'm sure I'm prepared to say in the matter. Um, so the, 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 no, sorry, Craig. No, no, I was just going to say, so fair to say then, that, that, that nobody, nobody really liked this movie then. No, I'd have much no. rather watched... Um, a 20 minute episode six episodes of Broad City to be honest mm. or that programme Wild at Heart that starred um, Stephen Tomkinson and Amanda Holden as vets <laughs> actually yes I think I probably would have watched two episodes of that I wish I'd thought to come in and pretend that that's just what I'd watched the whole time <laughs> like, great this is a really off the wall choice I thought it was a movie but that giraffe my god it touched me I, I, I had to talk uh, yeah, Kate had to talk me down from turning it off about five times. Like I just, uh, I've got this thing. My my, my um, when I go to the cinema, if I, I, there's I usually go with one one mate if I'm not good with Kate, and he he kind of knows when I'm annoyed by a film because I kind of pretend to fall asleep during it. Yeah, like I shut my eyes in, in a kind of huffy kind of way, uh, and annoyed that I've wasted my time going to this film, and it kind of it happened last night. I kind of half deliberately dozed off during that scene just before the scene with uh, Laura Dern and um, Willem Dafoe in it as well so I kind of missed that wee bit but um, yeah I, it was it was a it was a total total slog and it, it, it is the, uh, uh, 100% like those the 100% of the people that um, well uh, like all the film reviewers I totally love it I, I read Empire's review and it gave it 4 out of 5 and stuff and like it it, you can't. I think if you're a film reviewer, you can't say you can't like it because it makes you look like you don't know what you're talking about about film. But actually, <laughs> it's bullshit. Duncan, a total turkey, a total turkey. Gary, fine for film studies students, not for me, Clive. Yeah. Well, I'll be the only one that said I thought it was. I thought it was all right. I thought the the performances were very very good, and and some of the some of the vignettes. We really talk about Willem Dafoe shooting his own head off with a shotgun. <laughs> we even we not even spoken about that. Or, that or the dog running off with the hand. The yeah. Oh yeah. Just yeah, ten I mean, years like, before, one tree hill does the same. But. Yeah, like I think there's there's things about a David Lynch film where you'll there'll be lots of things that is just done. That's not explained, and that's fine because it was a, it's a small contrivance. But um, yeah, yeah what, who, think, what was it? Sorry, Duncan. Just on that, what, what was the deal with that subplot about the Mister? What's his face and the two the women screaming and shooting Harry Dean Stanton at the end? Mister yeah, yeah. What, what was what was that all about? Some things are best not explained, Andy. I think that's what that's what they would say. Uh, I think, Craig, that you are willing to give this pass marks on the basis that you have been so uh, numbed by the amount of shite that you've also been watching on Netflix. That's I think funny. you're willing to give this an excuse, whereas the rest of us have come from a threshold of, of potentially only watching highly acclaimed stuff well, it's quite funny actually you see that Duncan yesterday when I finished The Wire like I finished The Wire mid afternoon I've been watching it as I've been getting on my work watched The Wire finished next up The Do Over starring Adam Sandler and David Spade <laughs> so <laughs> just mean you've, you've had you've watched like like, like I spent an entire week watching world class television let's let's go back to Let's go out and you can't eat fillet steak all the time. You know that's that's you can't eat fillet steak all the time. Maybe you need for a bowl of uh, frosties for you for your dinner. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but you don't necessarily need to eat out of the eggs. <laughs> I'll go into bat for wild at heart. Hopefully next week when we're doing this, someone can pick 
Oh, I, 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 well... Little Man by Marlon Wayans. Fuck off, Gary. <laughs> Listen, I watched Little Man. Because that was the one when we watched Ghostbusters 2, right? You suggested watching Little Man. That was never going to fly. I went Wild at Heart did. I mean, right. who's got the better records here? Wild at Heart is better than Little Man, I'll say that. Low bar. There you go. It's praise indeed, you're better than a film where uh, Marlon Wayans pretends to be a baby. <laughs> there you go. So, fair, fair that on your, your DVD release, <laughs> deluxe release. Yeah, lunch. there you go. I, the, I, critics commentary. No, you know, when I saw this scene, it got me thinking of the Wayans brothers, Little Man. <laughs> For the scene is the seventh time somebody got punched in the dick. Uh, I think the best thing to do we'll just we'll just, we'll just, just move on. But it's good, you know. Something it's good like, when we watched we watched Ladybird, for instance. Ladybird was unanimous. That was a, that was an absolute pleasure to watch. Um, this this was probably a bit more challenging, and sometimes so that can be a bit difficult for people, uh, as we've come to come to discover. But we'll finish up by uh, talking about things we've enjoyed for our ears. Um, I'm going to go first because uh, because I want to. Uh, as I said last week's show, I am I've got vinyl that I'm using to to decorate my uh, house with, and I got some. You can't hear me because I'm walking away. I got some new one here. And I think this is the one that's going to complete the set. And I, and I, the reason I've got this one, it's a very good album, and two, I actually think it's one of the best album covers of all time. It is this New Order. Power corruption and lies by New Order. Look at the back of it as well, man. Cool as fuck. Pierre Savile. Uh, no, that's a disgrace game show host you're thinking of. Um, well, yeah, yeah. and Eyes is a really interesting album in, in New Order's back catalogue because I think it's, I think it's on the whole, it's a good album. And I mean good is like there's, it's got eight songs in it. Four of the songs are amazing. Four of the songs I can completely take or leave. The good ones, like uh, Age of Consent, is amazing. Yeah. Peter Hook's bass run on that is absolutely this world. Leave Me Alone, Your Silent Face and The Village are all very good. The rest of the stuff is like sort of grubby synth dance sort of stuff that doesn't quite hit the mark. But on the whole, uh, very good album. And I think this will look really cool up in uh, up in my flat. Andy Harrell, what are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to uh, Phoebe Bridgers. She, uh, her new album uh, came out uh, Thursday, I think it was. Um, so yeah, I've been listening. Uh, well, I've only I've only listened to it a couple of times, but uh, I was quite excited about it coming out. I uh, only found out about her uh, a few years ago. Um, she'd done a um, a song, uh, "Motion Sickness," uh, which was about her kind of relationship with Ryan Adams, um, well, which was uh, quite kind of more stuff publicly came out about that about uh, a year and a half ago or so. Um, but yeah, that, her. Um, so our first album's really great, um, really like it, and she's since done stuff with um, Lucy Dacus and Julian Baker and Boy Genius, which is a really great EP, uh, and uh, she did Better, uh, I'm going to just double check the order of these words, uh, Better Oblivion Community Centre with um, Connor Oberst, uh, and she, she's been a guest on a, a bunch of different songs as well. Um, yeah, I, I saw her live just... Once we came back from honeymoon, actually, when we uh, I was only discovered her on my honeymoon, uh, we kept listening to it a lot then, and then she happened to be playing live the, the day we flew back, 
so we ended up watching her. Uh, yeah, she's she's good. It's kind of kind of sad, sad songs. It's not necessarily the most um, upbeat stuff. Um, our lyrics are a bit kind of worn out and everything, but I really like her voice and her kind of they're just nice songs. I kind of you can kind of kind of just settle into them. They're they're, uh, they're very. <sighs> kind of easy easy to listen to um, it's just herself there's not too much of a band there um, so yeah so I haven't listened to much of the new album yet I've listened to the, the singles that came out which I enjoyed but I, I'm uh, I'm going to look forward to kind of getting into that properly over the next few weeks Excellent very good uh, Gary Cocker what are you listening to? Uh, I've been listening to a podcast called Nice Try uh, which is I think it's an eight part series which picks out times where uh, human beings have tried to create a utopia on Earth. Wow! Um, so it's what actually try? Um, nice try. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Anyway, I, I saw it in the list and I downloaded. It. I didn't actually look at the title of it, but the content has been very good. Um, so some of the episodes are on. Um, I shouldn't be starting with this one, but one of them is about um, Germania, which was going to be the. Uh, capital of the Third Reich should it have been successful um, so that talks a little bit more about the architecture and what um, what was done to Berlin in preparation for it and what it would have looked like and the size of it etc and speaks about an airport in Berlin, it's not Schoenfeld it's the other one which was built by uh, the Nazis basically and that was going to be the sort of the entry to the capital of the world as they saw it, so that's a really interesting episode there is one about, I forget the name of it, it's some like biosphere or biodome, so in the... Terrible the, movie. I think in the 70s there was... Molly um, Shore, Stephen but, Baldwin. I don't know, I don't know if this is... Very good. Uh, I don't know if this is what it was about, but it was a... Um, basically they built a, a, a massive dome, it's like a massive bubble somewhere in America, and a handful of people went into it and basically it was to try and see it was like a massive science experiment to see if um, they could basically fend for themselves in a way which didn't harm the earth at all and basically what it meant was they ate sweet potatoes for a year and they lived on subsistence farming and they all hated it um, but it's very interesting to listen to because it it sort of goes into the ecological stuff about how you know the earth's in balance and um some of the things that they learnt. Um, I think there's, there were a couple of scientific breakthroughs that actually did come about as a result of that year-long experiment. But oh. everybody on it, uh, their hands turned orange because all they could make or all they could actually cultivate was sweet potatoes uh, for whatever reason. Um, there's an it's episode like the, on... That's, that's like the kid who drank um, too much Sunny Delight. Yeah, too much carotene or whatever and just go orange. Um, and there's another episode on Jamestown as well. So it's a mix of things. So it's not just about the the sort of society that tried to build these utopias, but it's about the sort of the architecture behind it, the design, uh, the implementation, etc., etc. So it's only eight episodes or so. Each episode is about half an hour long, uh, and it's really interesting to listen to because it's stories that I've never heard about before. Do they talk, Gary? That sounds good. I've subscribed to that as well. Just for when you were mentioning that, it sounds really interesting. It got me thinking about like the Darien scheme. It didn't mention that, no. Uh, Jamestown's probably the one that's closest to it. Died on its arse very quickly. Yeah. Um, that means prob- some laugh, man, honestly. See, I've, I've read the Wikipedia article and it's like, anything that can go wrong did go wrong. 
Yeah, I, I don't know why they thought that uh, building a colony in the Caribbean tropics would go well for a bunch of Scots, but there you go. Um, but Jamestown's probably the closest one to it because it talks about all the stuff that we know already about, you know, uh, conflict with the native population, uh, endemic diseases being sort of swapped between them, uh, infighting, um, leadership not being properly put in place. Yeah. Some, I can't, because obviously this is the first episode in the series, so it's been a while since I listened to it, but um, there's some story about, like, there was a ship coming over to relieve people, but the only person that died on the ship was the person that was going to actually be leading that colony. So it's like, you know, th- this is the one thing we didn't want to happen. happen. Um, but it's really interesting. Uh, some of the episodes are better than others because some of them are about things that you either heard of or vaguely know about, and some of them go a bit too much into the sort of uh, art and design, architecture side of things, which right. didn't interest me as much, but still worth listening to and checking out. Very good. Nice. Answer. What was it called again, Gary? Nice try. With an exclamation on the end, a very patronising title, but worth it. Brilliant! That's, that sounds good. And uh, Duncan, what are you what, what what are you listening to? Like Andy, I'll be listening a lot to Phoebe Bridges, but also there was two other albums out yesterday that I'm going to be listening to a lot over the uh, coming weeks. Um, Bob Dylan's latest album, The Rough and Rowdy Ways, potentially the worst album cover that has ever been done um, but uh, the two singles from it so far have been uh, absolutely sublime I think this is uh, a, a Bob Dylan album to get really excited by um, yeah the, the Murder Most Foul is a 17 minute just odyssey that is fantastic and then uh, also another one of my old, uh, old favourites Neil Young uh, was a release of his 1975 lost album Homegrown um, 10 years since he said it was coming because it's just how Neil Young works uh, just uh, yeah I think Bridger's Dylan Young that's going to be my uh, my next my next week a bunch of crusty old rockers then uh, yeah but crusty still doing stuff that's isn't it to describe someone a crusty well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's I mean Neil, Neil Young definitely is a crusty old rocker like there's no there's no question about that although he's now married to Daryl Hannah so is he? yeah she was a bit of a looker back in the day. When she was a mermaid. Hmm. Hey, they edited that out, I think, at Disney Plus, didn't they? The famously. Wow. Her bum in uh, Splash, I think they've, they've edited it. So that you can't see her bum. You know if they just put a big black box across it or something. <laughs> or, or, if it's as incongruous as that. But yeah, I don't think you're allowed to see it anymore. Like, uh, going, by, going by Wikipedia, Daryl Hannah, I mean, she's nearly, she'll be 60 this year. She's yeah, still but Neil looks, Young's looks, fucking ancient. Neil, Neil Young looks like he's like uh, he's made of moss. <laughs> a fair that, that. The guy can fucking play the guitar. I liked uh, what was my favourite Neil Young song? Um, Cinnamon Girl. That was my favourite Neil no. Young song. Can't say I'm massively uh, uh, au fait with his back catalogue, but I did like that one. No, it's, uh, Neil Young is, is tremendous. I saw him, uh, must be 12, 11 years ago uh, in Aberdeen before he played Glastonbury, and he was fantastic. Very good, very good. That's a that's a pleasant way to, to fantastic is a pleasant way to, to round up this podcast. I've had a lot of fun and I've subscribed to two podcasts off the back of it. So hopefully uh, you guys can, uh, you people at home can enjoy it. And please check out Wild at Heart. We would love to, love to know what you think. Leave a comment in the, the below. Um, yeah, just please somebody tell me that I'm not uh, that, uh, that, that I'm not the only one that, that thought it was all right. Yeah, pretentious art school tryhard. That's what you're at. Okay, well, we'll definitely finish up there. Gary Cocker, lovely to see you. Thank you. 
As always, thank you. Andy Harrow, lovely to see you, thank you. Thank you. And Peter McNichol from Ghostbusters too, thank you. <laughs> yeah, cheers. Thank you, take care. Bye. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.